Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to the special Halloween edition of WWC. Okay, so honestly, I just wanted to mess around with the weird voice, but uh, welcome to WWC. It's, if it's your first time joining us, uh, usually the intro isn't that silly, um, but I thought, you know what, it's Halloween, let's make it a little, uh, little spooky, a little different. Um, so today we are diving into All Hallows' Eve, this Catholic feast, and we're looking at it to see, okay, is it Catholic? Uh, what are some things that we need to know about Halloween? Where did it come from? Uh, what are some of the, uh, the, the pagan precursors that were sort of brought into the celebration by the church that are authentic? Uh, and making good distinctions along the way. What is a soul? What is a spirit? Those sorts of things. So really glad that you're here. And uh, now that I have a new microphone um, and are back in business, we can keep making uh, hopefully good content. So it's wonderful to have you here. I hope you enjoy. Let's get to it. There's a well-known quote from the 1995 movie Usual Suspects, and maybe you've heard of it. It goes like this. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. And isn't that true? And and we can take a further step uh, to say that Satan has not created anything at all in his entire existence. He just subverts good things created by God. Satanism, even, is, is nothing more than a hollow reversal of the truth, goodness, and beauty of Christianity. It's a, it's a subversion. Okay, I want you to picture in your mind uh, a cross, but now picture it upside down. Now, if I showed you an upside down cross, what would you think of it? Would you immediately recoil and say, isn't that satanic? Now, today, uh, in today's world, that might be the expectation. But what if I were to tell you that the upside-down cross is nothing else other than the cross of St. Peter, who didn't believe himself to be worthy of crucifixion in the same manner as Jesus? It wasn't actually made a satanic symbol until the 18th century. What about this one? What about a five-sided star, a five-pointed star, rather, in a circle? This is pretty much universally recognized as a satanic symbol. The so-called Church of Satan and the Satanic Temple have taken it on as their symbol. However, the pentagram and the pentacle, which is what I described when it's enclosed in the circle, is traditionally associated with both the five senses of the human body, but also with the five wounds of Jesus Christ. Now, the hermeticists of the Renaissance period hijacked it, and they made it an image of magic. Uh, but it wasn't a satanic symbol until the 1960s. Now, these are just a couple of examples to show us that we need to re-examine our preconceived notions from time to time. And I think the same thing is true about Halloween. The liturgical calendar of the church is punctuated by various feasts of saints Uh, And on these days, we ask in a special way for the intercession of these holy men and women. We also honor their cooperation with God, and we seek to imitate their lives. Uh, We may also read some of their writings or pray in a way which was particularly loved by that saint. 
And there's just, there's too many saints to honor specifically by name. And there's only 365 days in a year. And we don't know the names of all of the citizens of heaven. So the church celebrates All Saints Day each year to commemorate each individual in heaven, those that we know by name and those known only to God. And All Saints Day is celebrated every year on November 1st. It's a holy day of obligation for Catholics of the Latin Rite. Uh, so if you're listening to this today, Monday, uh, the 31st of October, and tomorrow, Tuesday, is All Saints Day. It's a holy day of obligation, so make sure you get to Mass. Uh, and if you're listening to this in a year that's not 2022, just make sure you know November 1st is a holy day of obligation. Now, in the Eastern Catholic churches, this special feast is celebrated on the Sunday after Pentecost. But in the Latin West, November 1 became the date to honor all saints. And this practice goes back to at least the 8th century. Even in secular culture, uh, <clears throat> we have an indication of the prevalence of the day, right? The, the night before All Saints Day is known as All Hallows' Eve or All uh, Saintly Eve or Halloween, right? Hallow is just the German word for the Latin sanctus, which means holy. And as a secular celebration, Halloween is a huge deal in the United States, right? Kids go trick-or-treating. Uh, we watch scary movies. We listen to scary music. Um, we do all sorts of things to mark this day. We dress up in costumes, go to haunted houses and cordon mazes, tell spooky stories. And to be honest, it was one of my favorite secular celebrations as a kid. I mean, what kid wouldn't want a big bag full of free candy? Now, as a teenager, I didn't really trick or treat too much, but I still went to theme parks uh, during Halloween time and went through the haunted walkthrough attractions. My favorite was, uh, was Bush Gardens in Virginia. I grew up in North Carolina. And so in Williamsburg, Virginia, uh, they had Hollow Scream at Bush Gardens, and the, they rated it based on pumpkin levels. So five pumpkin levels was the highest. That's what I wanted to go to. And as an adult, I would go on haunted walking tours, haunted ghost tours in old cities. Uh, and I'm pretty sure by this point, I could lead the French Quarter ghost walking tour in New Orleans. I, I love it. I've been on it like four or five times. So we have to keep in mind, as we're talking about all these things, that death is a part of our fallen reality, right? Humanity has always had a fascination with the macabre and things that go bump in the night. And why this interest in the ethereal and otherworldly? What is it about this day in particular that draws out the attention to the supernatural or the paranormal, even if they don't believe, right? That's the, that's the strange thing. Death is universal. Death comes to all of us, much like taxes. So the answer is, what are we going to do about it? We can run from it, but it'll chase us down to the tune of the ticking of the clock. Human beings are no strangers to death, but the plan from the beginning was not so. Our first parents were created in a state of original justice, right? walking hand in hand, so to speak, with God. And after that first sin, evil entered the world, and our nature was tainted by the inclination to do wrong and to offend God. Our relationship with him was changed, and death entered our reality. However, God didn't leave us abandoned to our sin. This is the good news. In fact, death itself can be seen as a punishment, right? It's something that's painful, our body and our soul being separated, but it's also our salvation. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, anyone who's watched a vampire movie 
knows that the curse of a mortal life in this Valley of Tears, that's the actual curse of the vampire, right? The, the blood sucking is one thing. That There's a whole lot to go through that. Uh, Dr. Peter Kraft talks about how Jesus on the cross is like a syringe that gives us a blood transfusion, whereas Dracula uh, steals our blood away, takes our life from us. Um, so there's a whole lot to vampire m- movies and books uh, that are it's very, very deeply rooted in the Christian tradition. But really think about that, to live forever with no uh, outcome of death. I wouldn't want that, and I don't think you would either. And those of us who watch zombie movies know that there's something wrong there, right? It's not just that zombies want to eat you. It's that we see bodies without souls. And ghost movies are the same. They're just the inverse. They show us souls without bodies. Now, again, all of these examples show the futility of being trapped in the earthly realm of suffering without any hope of salvation in the other realm of heaven. Our relationship with death is is definitely complicated. We rightly grieve when a loved one dies, and we naturally have an aversion to the thought of our own death. Sometimes in despair, we might even have suicidal ideation due to a traumatic event or mental illness. Think of the fictional character Hamlet weighing his earthly life of suffering and the endless sleep of death. He says, to be or not to be, that is the question. Hamlet's even pictured in the play soliloquizing a a human skull, a profound symbol of our mortality. The Greek philosopher Plato, when he was writing about philosophy itself, like the subject of philosophy, said that it is about nothing else but dying and being dead. And this was also a common theme of the philosophical school known as Stoicism, which meditated often on death. In another play by Shakespeare, Julius Caesar, uh, we see that even the greatest, the highest in our society, death comes to them as well. The Praetorian Guard whispers to the doomed dictator, Julius Caesar, and says, Remember, Caesar, thou art mortal. So if we live our life with this daily reminder that we are going to one day die, perhaps we'll make better choices. Perhaps we'll choose to pray more, to love more, to fully live more. We can think of how Moses prays in Psalm 90 that God might teach the people to number our days so that we might get a heart of wisdom. Our life on earth is short. It's fleeting. As Isaiah says in Isaiah 40, the grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. When the ancient pagans meditated on death, there were several who took this as an invitation to party. The ancient Romans even had a phrase for this mindset. They said, nunc est bibendum. Now is the time to drink. The the Christian tradition's meditation on death, of course, does not bear the same weight as this. In fact, the Christian notion doesn't motivate us to throw caution to the wind and embrace a sort of mid-2000s notion of YOLO, that you only live once. That's not it. Instead, we're called to meditate on our last end and to act accordingly in the present. This is the great uh, spiritual tradition of memento mori, remember your death. Uh, the, the longer phrase being tempus fugit, time flies, remember your death. And the scriptures teach us uh, in Sirach 740, in all thy works, remember thy last end and thou shalt never sin. See, death doesn't pity anyone and it comes for everyone. Life is short and shortly it will end. In the end, we die. 
This is the first of what the, what the Catholic Church calls the last four things. Our death is our soul's separation from our body. It's a consequence of evil and original sin. However, death is a grace, right? We talked about this as an idea of salvation as the antidote to the curse of the vampire living forever in this valley of sin. In God's timing and providence, because it, is, it ends our toiling in the veil of tears, he draws us to himself. And upon our death, our soul appears uh, before Christ, the judge, who commends our soul to heaven or condemns us to hell. And this particular judgment of the soul is the second of the last things, that, and heaven and hell, uh, of course, being the third and fourth. And we, we need to remember that we're not so much damned as to say that we damn ourselves by our actions here on earth. As C.S. Lewis said, the, gate, uh, the door of hell is locked from the inside. And if we're in a state of unrepentant mortal sin upon our death, then we will be judged to hell. But the choice is ours. God loves us immeasurably and desires our salvation. He wants us to be in heaven with him for all eternity, but he will not force his love on anyone. So if there's any vestiges of venial sin on our soul or attachments to sin, then we may need uh, time, for lack of better terms, uh, a purification in purgatory. For as scripture says, nothing unclean can enter heaven. And then at the end comes the general judgment and the resurrection of the body. And so with the establishment of the new heaven and the new earth, with our newly reunited to our soul resurrected bodies, we enjoy eternal life uh, or, or punishment. So to help us get a fuller picture of the Catholic view, we need to ask the questions, what is a soul? What is a spirit? Are they different? Is it the same concept? Is it somewhat different? And then finally, what is a saint? So normally when we use the word soul, we are referring to spirit, but these are a bit different concepts from one another. So generally speaking, the soul is what gives life to the body. Whatever is alive has a soul, so to speak. This includes bacteria, plants, animals, humans, and angels. And of course, even a, the difference between a plant soul and an animal soul is vast. But human beings, specifically, we have what's called a rational soul. And our rational soul is what allows us to think and to act, to know things and to will towards certain goods. Wherever our body is, there our soul is. We have a body and a soul, and this is part of what makes us human beings, right? To be without either a body or a soul is the cause of various nightmares and monsters. A body without a soul is a zombie. A human soul without a body is a ghost. So the related word spirit comes from the Latin spirare, which means to breathe. Oftentimes spirit is used interchangeably with soul when we speak, but but spirit tends to bring with it the connotations of the higher aspects of the rational soul. Right? The spirit could point to abstract thought or art or religion or morality beyond mere animation and life of our bodies. And St. Paul even lists the elements of man as spirit, soul, and body in 1 Thessalonians 5.23 and Ephesians 4.23. Father Hugh Barber of the Premonstratentians offers a fantastic breakdown of this distinction with uh, Catholic answers. And the link to this is uh, in the show notes. Soul, when distinguished from spirit, Father Hugh says, uh, means that which gives life to a body. Spirit, when contrasted with soul, simply means those aspects of human life and activity that do not depend on the body or on the conditions of matter. 
and so open the soul toward the supernatural life of grace. Human nature has all of these aspects essentially, and finally, even the body will share in the life of the spirit in the resurrection. So next, let's look at the definition of saint, because it is All Saints Day, after all. Right? Saint comes from the Latin sanctus, which means holy. It means set apart. And the term that's used in both the Old and New Testaments to refer to the followers of God is saints. And we can call someone a saint on earth who exhibits holiness in a remarkable way. Likewise, the, the holy souls in purgatory can be called saints in a sense because they are holy and bound for heaven. But most of the time, when we use the term saint, we are referring to the members of the church triumphant in heaven, God's disciples in heaven who have attained purified perfection by his grace are called saints, the holy ones of God. And there are countless men and women over the last millennia who are officially recognized as saints by the Catholic church. And there's many more that we don't know by name that haven't been beatified or canonized. And one need not be beatified or canonized in order to be saints in heaven. The church simply is giving us an assurance through those processes that those recognized by official canonization are definitely in heaven. So now back to Halloween. Where did a lot of the Halloween traditions that we celebrate as a secular world come from today? Uh, well, we can speak with some historical reliability of the Celtic people in Ireland. The Druid Celtic pagans had a festival on October 31st called Sowin. Uh, it's, I think that's how it's pronounced. It's S-A-M-H-A-I-N. Uh, I do not speak Celtic. Um, but let's go back to the time 837 AD. Right? The Celtic people celebrated this day as the start of the new year each November 1st. So it's the, the Celtic New Year. The summer was at an end, the harvest was just beginning, the dark, cold winter was on the way, and the harsh Irish winter always brought death. And so this was really on the, the threshold between the living and the dead. It was this idea of the night is getting darker sooner, it's staying dark longer, death is always accompanying winter. Uh, and so there was this idea that the world's, the boundary between the worlds of the living and the dead uh, were lessened. They were blurry enough for the dead to actually appear to the living. This was the idea of the Celtic Druids anyway. And the abbeys of Ireland had already been spreading the gospel in the area for about 200 years or so. But there were many pagan Celts still. So the celebration always happened generally the same way. The hearth in every home would be extinguished completely. Then the Druid priests would light huge bonfires and crops and animals would be sacrificed to the Celtic pagan gods, uh, which of course we need to remember are, are demons, uh, right? The gods of the pagans are demons. The next morning, the hearths would be lit from the sacred fire, so to speak, sacred uh, to the pagans. And almost a thousand years previously, the Romans had left a few festivals in late October as well. The first was Feralia, which commemorated the passing of the dead from that year, very much like our All Souls Day, which is celebrated November 2nd. And second, there was a day to honor Pomona, the, the Roman goddess of fruit and trees, because it's a harvest festival. So these two festivals were meshed over the years with Sowin. And so the Celts had bobbing for apples. They had rites honoring the dead along with their bonfires. They had fortune-telling and animal sacrifices. But then the Christians came, 
And things began to change slowly, right? Slowly, but surely. The Christians were rightly wary of some of the practices like fortune telling and animal sacrifices, especially because these had to do with illicit magic of trying to have dominion over nature and supplant the role of God. And then animal sacrifice to pagan gods is is sacrificing to demons. Obviously, that's a no-go. But they had no problem with bonfires, right? They simply told the people that it symbolized the great light of Jesus Christ, And they didn't have any problem with bobbing for apples because apples are a fruit of the earth formed by the hand of the one God. So they were able to explain these. It's not that they were taking these pagan things and then baptizing them and making them Christian. No, they were pointing out that fire is a gift from God. Apples are a gift from God. And and the Christians had no problem with commemorating the dead either. In fact, they were able to show many of the pagans how we pray for the dead at every single offering of the Holy Mass. The Celts were astounded that the Christians did this every single day. So the monks worked hard to clean up these pagan festivities of the problematic parts. And uh, earlier in 609 AD, Pope Boniface IV dedicated the Pantheon in Rome, which was the the church, the temple to all of the gods of Rome. Uh, It has now been dedicated by the Pope in Rome to honor all Christian martyrs and established All Martyrs Day. And this was expanded later by Pope Gregory III in the 8th century to include all of the saints. And the Pope also did something quite providential for the folks in the Druid territory. He moved the feast from May 13th to November 1st. So the monks and other Christians worked to combine their celebration of All Saints Day, the Catholic holiday, the solemnity, with sowing as much as they were able And of course, they were able to do quite a bit. So in the years following the mid-9th century, the celebrations of All Hallows' Eve and All Saints' Day and All Souls' Day beginning in the early 11th century looked like this, right? The communal celebration began on the eve of All Hallows. And a lot of that celebration modeled was modeled after the Festival of Sowen. So there were bonfires, parades, adults dressed up as angels and saints and devils, and they were bobbing for apples. And there wasn't a single Druid priest in sight, no animal sacrifices, no fortune telling. So even if this was at one point a pagan festivity, a pagan celebration, the Catholic Church does what it always does and takes the good, true, and beautiful and assimilates what it can. This is not uh, syncretism. This is not some sort of false um, Catholicizing something that's pagan. No, it's acknowledging what God has done, right? Bonfires, apples, um, praying for the dead. These are very Catholic things. So as the community continued to be converted, so in passed into history, but Halloween, All Hallows' Eve, the Catholic feast remained, So now we finally approach the question, should Catholics celebrate Halloween? And I want to begin by saying that I'm trying my best to prudently apply the principles of faith and morals of the church to the specific historical instantiation of celebrating Halloween here and now. And as a prudential application, you might come to different conclusions from me, and that's okay. Uh, At any rate, here goes, and I'll, I'll try to wrap up briefly. If you keep in mind everything that I've stated thus far, then I say celebrate Halloween, both in church, at home, and in the streets. 
Don't try to reproduce any pagan rituals. Do not be superstitious. Right? Know that Satan and the demons are real and do not invite them into your life. Instead, be discerning, but enjoy the candy movies, music, decorations, costumes, always in moderation, of course, and use your best judgment. But perhaps use it as an opportunity to meditate on your own death and be moved to contemplation of the divine. Remember the great cloud of witnesses of the saints and the victory of Jesus Christ over sin and death. That's the focus of All Hallows' Eve. That's the focus of All Saints' Day. So Halloween, as the vigil of All Saints, has been brought into the faith as a Christian holy day. Or I rather, I should say a lot of the practices around it were assimilated into the celebration of a particularly Catholic feast from the beginning. So let's mark it as one. Right, let's seek to keep the good and leave the bad, just as the Holy Mother Church has taught us over the centuries. The gospel does not come into an area and destroy culture. It provides culture. It elevates and purifies it. it now, make good distinctions. Let good fun be good fun. If something is vicious or evil, then discard it. And if something is good but has been perverted, then take it back. And just as a note, if you like carving pumpkins, for example, then, then do it. But here's a practical distinction. Don't worship the pumpkins. <laughs> I think you'll be fine, right? Like that's what we're watching out for is, is, uh, is these pagan notions of worshiping nature and worshiping created things rather than God. We cannot tra uh, transgress the first commandment. But if we keep first things first and second things second, and we let good fun be good fun, and we make sure that the reason for this season is All Saints Day, then we'll be, we'll be fine. There's a lot more to say, but I, I asked my wife what her take on all this stuff was, and the question of Catholics celebrating Halloween was, and well, I'll just end with her words. I wish people would just use their brains. It's common sense. People need to chill out and find the rational middle ground. Well spoken, wife. Well spoken. <laughs> so I, oh, I hope you've enjoyed this uh, episode, this explanation, deeper dive into All Hallows' Eve. Uh, I hope that you have a very safe night and a very holy and happy solemnity tomorrow. Uh, make sure you go to Mass and uh, pray for me and I'll pray for you. All glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, now and ever and forever. Amen.